folks, uh, thanks for listening today. Um, I've got Matt Fry on the phone, and I'm really excited to talk to Matt. Matt's uh, been kind enough to have been in our book. He was in our video series. Uh, he runs a great business. Uh, he, he owns Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream and Bub's Cafe out in sort of the Indianapolis, Indiana area. Uh, I think what, so we've got three Bub's Burgers and Ice Cream locations. Uh, Bub's Cafe has one location, and then Matt also owns a bakery that um, he opened recently that supplies his, his bread and his bun. So, um, and Matt's just been uh, been very successful and worked very hard and, and uh, has a great story. So, Matt, thanks for taking the time to join today. Thank you, Will. Um, so, look, man, I, one of the things that I was kind of reading through the chapter we did for the book on you and a couple of things that I thought were really cool that I wanted to get you to talk about. But one of those was... Um, you uh you said something in there I always thought was really needed <clears throat> made an impact on I me. Mean, you said you don't you don't hire busters or ice cream scoopers or waiters or hostesses. You you hire salespeople and you hire salespeople for every position uh in your restaurants. So talk a little bit about why you do that. Well, you know, when when my wife Rachel and I opened in O three, you know, the goal was to be the best burger in town, right? Keep it simple. You can't be everything to everybody, so be good at one or two things. And we chose the cheeseburger business because that's what everybody knows, that's what everybody loves. The competition's really intense, and, and that's fine, but, but you know, when you create a business or a new product, what makes yours better than dif- and different than everyone else's, right? So instead of being like everybody else, we, we came up with these different value adds, we call them, that make our burgers better. So to answer your question, to jump, you know, forward a few years from 2003, we we were the best burger in town and still are. You know, of course I'm biased, but I think our burger is fantastic compared to everyone else's around us. Um, so what what the business model turned into from being the best burger in town was more of a training ground. Because what we found in in like me when I go out to eat, I expect the service to be good. I expect them to be clean, knowledgeable, and everything else. And and through all my corporate days at Kellogg's, you know about brand identity and value add and salesmanship and you know suggestive selling and all those things. There's no reason that can't be incorporated into the food service industry like what we do with our wait staff. So the, the mission that we've become over the past probably 10 years is to teach people to be salespeople. And it's not just about sales. It's just about personality. It's about being more confident in yourself and how to prepare yourself to be confident and how you would talk to a stranger, and whether it's eye contact or posture or cleanliness or menu knowledge or just knowledge of anything. But we intentionally hire a lot of young people to get in their head first, to teach about all those sales tactics, about brand identity, value add, return on investment, but also teamwork, you know, proactiveness, um, you know, attention to detail, and accountability. So what what it's been over the past few years is to get these people to understand that everything is sales. So when they go to that college admission, right, interview, and they have to sit down with the admissions people, they need to sell themselves. Um, they on, on why they should be attending that school or they should be able to go up to their coach and ask them a question without being shy or nervous or scared because they've been in these situations before. Because I can tell you a lot of people don't get that in, in the experiences that I had at, at the Kellogg Company and some other corporations. You know, that that's where I really, you know, fine-tune those skills. I had, a, you know, I had a paper out at nine years old, so I was knocking on people's doors asking them to pay for their paper that I delivered. So, I, I you know, I got those skills pretty early and just worked in the food service industry all my life. But, you know, the fact of the matter is we hire salespeople to teach those things because we know it's going to pay off later for them. And even the mid-20 people, the who am I's of the world or the, the experienced waiters, 
where you get, hey, we don't, I've never done this before because that's not how we've done it at other restaurants. Well, that's because we're different at where we are because we enforce those policies and procedures to make sure they understand that they're accountable for return on investment. They need to maximize their profitability. So that's where this whole salesmanship type thing comes into play. You, and so you have like you have a lot of uh, high school students and young folks working for your staff. So do you you get into those kinds of terminology, return on investment and maximizing profitability at that age? How huh? you teach them about that early on? Yeah, because they're going to learn it. They're going to learn it in school. So why not get an advantage? You know, so if you're 14 and you're working for us and you're maybe busting tables but you're still a salesperson because if you have customer interaction, you better be able to answer a question they ask you. What's the address? What's this about? What beers do you have? And that 14-year-old better look at him in the eye with a smile on their face and list off the most expensive beers first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's what the job is. You're, their number one job will, and this sounds, let me explain this because it doesn't sound very good. Their number one job is to make me a ton of money. Okay? Yeah. But what's that mean? It's not literally that it is, but it's not. What it means is they need to understand to not walk around like a robot and give mediocre service uh, and say, huh, what, what'd you say to a customer? Or, you know, it had no politeness, no manners. They understand that, that, you know, people judge the book by its cover. I mean, that's the reality of the world. It's a sad one, but it's reality. So until you open your mouth, they don't know what they're going to get sometimes. And when you have a young person working in the industry like this, it's very important to mold them early. They they need it. They want it. Even though they may not admit it, they want it and need it. And and so, you know, if he's busting tables and doing dishes, he should strive to be a waiter because that's cash tips. So, you know, they average anywhere from 18 to 22 bucks an hour cash versus, you know, busting tables at 7.25 an hour. I mean, which one would you rather be, right? You want that cash money. Cash is king. We talk about all these things. Then we talk about budgeting and and how to save your money and all these things. So it's not just turning a 14-year-old wild with a bunch of cash once he earns it or she. It's about what you do with it. And, and, and that's how I look at my role. You know, I'm blessed in the fact that this business has taken off really well. You know, it's 13 years is coming May in two, uh, 2015. The other shots are doing great. Everything's going great. It's my duty to give back, to, to let these kids know what works, because I've been through high school, college, corporate world, small corporations, large ones, you know, I have an idea what they're looking for. And and if I can give back to these young kids, prepare them later, then that's my obligation. And, and it's not just about the money. It's about people development skills. And we really stress that above because it's so important. And I have fact-based data at this point after so many years that these kids come back and say, God, Matt, you're the biggest jerk to work for. But you were right. And I've used those skills I learned at Bob's about brand and value and sales and, you know, just personality and communication and, and networking to, to help me where I'm at now and they have a full-time career job. So it's not that I just make this stuff up. There's actual facts that prove this through the people that have worked for me for five or ten years or even just a couple years. That's awesome. So you really, I mean, you really view yourself as, a, as, as very much a mentor. You, you, you're you in a restaurant business, but you have a large staff at that business and you look at yourself as a mentor to help them learn, not just how to, I mean, the byproduct of them learning this is making you a lot of money, but but that's the well, that's the byproduct. What you're doing is you're teaching them life skills, you're teaching them career skills, and you're teaching them things that are translatable to any aspect of life. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I said before, it's not like they're never going to have to make a speech in a speech class in high school or college, right? So the sooner they're in front of their peers selling a menu item in our in our monthly sales meetings that we have that everyone has to attend, we force 
uh, we intentionally, not I was going to say forcefully, but <laughs> that doesn't sound right. We, we intentionally have somebody stand up and introduce themselves, why are they working a bus, just so everyone knows them, and then drill them on questions about the menu. And a lot of times it doesn't go so well because these kids panic, right? But it's better they do it now with us than in the classroom, than in the boardroom, than in the office or in the coach's office or something like that. They need to get that thick skin early. And I'm telling you, with the way the workforce development is right now, man, it, there's so much sense of entitlement and, you know, just I deserve this, pay me this, and I'll show you how hard I work. And that's just not the way it is or should be. You know, you're, you're judged and based on your performance. You're judged and measured based on your performance. It's not just you, you're not giving anything. you got to earn it. Yeah, which is a great mentality. You probably have. I would guess you've got a lot of parents that want their kids to to work for you. I, I would think. I mean, I know I would if I were there, right? So you 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 have this reputation. You say with the kids that you're hard to work for, whatever. Then they come back later and say, you know, you were right. But I would think the parents, for the most part, good parents understand that they're probably lining up to have their kids work work for you. Yeah, some are, some are. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But you know, sometimes it just takes somebody else. The parents could be telling these kids their own kids the same thing that I am. But it just yeah right right times, and when they perform in front of their peers, that's when the, they they really see the results, you know. And instead of just at home, hey, go clean your room. This is how you clean your room. This is why you should clean your room. You should clean your room. Eh, whatever. You know what I mean? But, but there's been parents that come back to me saying, I don't know what you did to my kid, but man, his room's clean. He's he's helping out with dishes without being told, you know. So they they just start to realize, and I think that's just the brain of a freaking teenager, anyways. You know what I mean? That that brain's still developing a teenager, they just don't understand the common sense of I should probably get up and help. Until they're they're in a work environment that their boss is breathing down their neck saying, Come on, let's go do this. You know, follow this checkoff list. This is how you do it. You know, it it just it's part of the developmental phase and I think it's just crucial that that, that more people start to think that way as they as they manage these young people and mid twenties, right? And even the olders, that, that it's okay to change. It's okay to do it this way awesome now you um something else i remember you telling me was so you you went and you were getting a loan for the business and you got turned down a few times and you eventually got like a five-year loan i think you paid it back in like two years or something like that but one thing you told me was um is that when you have the mindset that failure is not an option it's really amazing uh how you'll react to that how you can do so many things when you think that way talk a little bit about that and, and that kind of mindset and mentality and why do you think that's important? Well, just just being a sales guy, I mean, no means yes. So you never take no as the answer. There, there's there's a way you can talk about it. There's a way you can convince, you know, in our situation with that loan that you brought up, you know, the bank, the same bank said no two times. And I, you know, got one more meeting with him. I scooted my chair close to him and said, I'm not in that group of failure. I'm not. And here's our business plan. This is why you should do it. And yeah, you're right. It was a five-year loan. We paid it off in just two years. And I said, don't tell me no. And and, and anyone in a, you know whatever election at, at IU University um, or up at Purdue or, or even some of the local high schools, you know, if you're satisfied with somebody telling you you can't do it, you got to change that attitude real quick, right? It, somebody tells you, hey, Will, you can't create a company called Schedule Fly. Come on, man, no one's going to use it. Really, watch me. That's the attitude you should have. Really, tell me I can't do it more because that's just going to motivate me to to prove you wrong. But well, you've seen it. There's so many people saying, "Yeah, you're probably right. You know, I probably won't play 18, or I probably won't start, or probably won't start that business. Probably won't go well. I'll just 
be miserable doing what I'm doing and just keep doing it until I can retire. There's a lot of people out there like that. And and yeah. to me, that really confuses me because I don't understand how anyone could go through life getting up every day doing something they don't like to do. I just don't get it. You know, life's short and you got to take advantage of those opportunities. And you know what? At least you tried. If it fails, there's a lot of failure out there, and that's fine. That's how you learn. But at least you tried. And, and maybe it costs you some money, but, you know, if you, if you budget and you save and you do things right, you should be okay still. But yeah, it's it's a big it's a big risk, but people gotta understand that you gotta take the chance. And that's what we teach these kids too. You know, some are shy to be a waiter. I don't want to wait tables, it's too much pressure. Nope, you're gonna wait tables. Come on, let's go. Then they end up being one of the best waiters we have. You know? They just need to push. But so so when you have so you have that mentality going into it then, but you still are so you're getting into the time to a, you know, what was then and still is a really risky business, um, and you're selling cheeseburgers. So what did you do? Like, what were the things you said, okay, this is, you know, of course you were confident, but, and you you finally convinced the bank, but what are some of the things you did early on that you deliberately said, okay, these are some of the things I have to do uh, and get right to make sure that we make this business successful? I know one of those things was you had, you have something called the Big Ugly Burger, which is sort of your, your catch menu item. I mean, like, how important was that, and how important were some of the other things that you did to help foster your success? Well, well, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. There were nights that I was like, oh, my gosh, what did we do? Did we do that? <laughs> are, are we doing the right thing? Oh, my gosh, is, you know, is this going to work? But, you know, you just, and you open up, and your fingers are crossed, and you're working hard, and you, you hope it's right, and we made a bunch of mistakes when we first opened, man, from a logistics procedure standpoint and everything else. And, you know, there's there's so many things that, that went wrong and could have gone worse but didn't. And, you know, you just you pray every night and it, it turns out being okay. But um, And you just work hard. You know, that's what it takes. But but it takes time to create that blueprint, that process and procedure. You know, and I, I think that's one of the best things that we did is, is come to the realization this is years ago. You know, and it's ever fun, it's ever changing because you modify it all the time based on environments or whatever, you, you know, someone may have a suggestion from the staff that works. And so we changed the whole process for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just, you got to be smart. You know, if you read that book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, you know, it's about working on the business, not in it, and, and creating a blueprint and a, a structure for the business so anyone can do it and follow it. It's so true because if you're What, what is the name of that book? It's called The E-Myth. The Entrepreneurial Mythology About Why Small Businesses Fail by Michael Gerber. Okay. Great, great book. You recommend it, huh? Yeah, easy reading. It's a good book. And he talks about Ray Kroc and how he got into McDonald's, you know, selling shake machines to the to the guys, and then ended up buying something, doing what he did with McDonald's. Um, but but it's mostly about the process. You know, you have to have a process. And anyone who opens a restaurant, man, you better plan on being there 15 hours a day, 16 hours a day, seven days a week to get that process started. And it's not just one week's worth of time either. You know, I was a buzz for a solid year and a half with those hours. Damn near killed me, but I knew that I had to do it. And I'm so cheap that I didn't want to spend the money on someone else doing it. <laughs> so, you know, you just you just got to put in forth that effort and that time frame and, and just figure out what works. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does, and it also brings up something else because you say I'm so cheap, but the other way to put that would be that you are, you know, are conservative um, and 
fiscally and that you're smart with the way that you run your business and you have your hands or your arms around the, the business side of your business. Talk about that a little bit and how important that is and how people may miss with that sometimes because that seems to me like a really key part is understand your financials and your profitability and running, you know, what you might call a lean business but what, what a lot would call, you know, a really smart way to run a business. Yeah, well, you know, like any business, not just food service at all, but any business, if you don't buy right, you're you're already, you know, you're underground at that point. So you, you got to know how to buy right, and that's the advantage that I had in, in corporate sales for food service with Kellogg's and a couple other food service manufacturing companies. I knew, you know, I did so many trade shows across the country, I was about to die. But I also saw which vendors to deal with. I knew which representatives of those businesses were, were real and not just, selling you a bag of something. Um, I knew how pricing structure worked with, you know, distributors across the nation, so on and so forth. I mean, I had the advantage going into this that I had a lot of experience with vendors, with products, with pricing, with distribution, and, and, and so on and so forth, where most restaurant owners, they go into this cold and fresh and have no idea. So I knew how I could beat up those distributors in terms of getting the best price um, and having them get the products that I needed for my business, you know, even if it wasn't in stock. You know, not a lot of distributors want to bring products in and, and have another SKU take up space when it's, you know, smaller volume. But, you know, again, they had faith in me and what we were doing, and it turned out to be a great choice. But, you know, knowing the financials and everything else, you know, we went through a process, my wife and I did, last about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, like I said, we've been very blessed with our business being very, very successful the first you know, 10 years, we were approached by some people to franchise and do some things. And, you know, and, and that really made, they had some questions for us that we had answers for, but we wanted more detail on. And it really made us dig into our business and turn everything inside out with every single piece of thing that we bought for that business. And and it's helped us be more uh, responsible and, and uh, just open our eyes to efficiencies. Um, and pricing what, and, and what's an example people. like what's what's an example of something that you uncovered through that process? Well, you know, like food costs. You know, with every single item, you got to go through that and, and find out what it costs, and you need to do that frequently to, to monitor, you know, your food cost percentage. You know, you want to say it maybe thirty percent. That's kind of the average for the industry, right? We had a couple items that were a little bit high. We had to adjust some pricing, but again, our, our thought process and all those years prior, it's like, hey, everything is so great. If it's not broken, why fix it? But from a reality standpoint, if you want a franchise or if you want to expand that business, you got to be competitive in the market, but you also have to be profitable. You can't have menu items on the menu that are dead dogs, right, that are in that 45 48% food cost margin. I mean, it's okay if you have a lost leader, but that item is not making a lot of money or as much money as it could, you know, at, at 30%. So, but then if you raise the price, is that going to take it out of the market? market reality of somebody willing to pay that much for something. So then you got to replace that item and put it something new. So, And that's the beauty of our menu. It's so small and simple that we didn't have a lot of items like that at all. In fact, none. But there were some side items like fries, you know, that needed to reorganize a little bit and, and just small things. But it was just a great experience for us to go dig deep in our own business. And it made me a more mature business owner, more knowledgeable, and, and uh, just just all around well-rounded about the business instead of doing what I did for so many years. You know, you strike me as somebody who's never going to be, um, I say not satisfied, but certainly not complacent with the business. Like, I feel like a lot of people 
10 or 12 years in, the business is doing well, could, could easily get complacent. But you seem like you'll never fall into that trap, which can be dangerous for the longevity of the business. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, yeah and I'll tell you, I don't think I don't think anyone can be because, you know, food cost right now is an all-time high. You know, with beef and, and, and some produce and all dairy items, basically. Um, you know, if, you, if you're not on top of that and knowing what's happening inside your business, you're going to be you're going to be out of business pretty quick. So, yeah, you you got to keep an eye. And the business changes, you know, new trends, new styles, new equipment all come out. And that's that's from my old sales days. I mean, we were launching new products all the time. You have to be aware of what's out there because, you know, that's how elk ended up on our menu, you know. so What ended up on your menu? Elk. Elk meat. Oh, elk, yeah, right, right. I remember that. Okay, yeah. So, you know, the story is the farmer came in, hey, you all want to buy some elk? And I'm like, no, beat it. You know, our menu is the menu because once you – once you create a concept, right, once you start deviating off your original thought process, you're going to be in trouble. And, again, you can't be everything to everybody. So our, our thought was at the time, hey, we're doing great. Everything's fine. We don't need to add elk meat. Give me a break. But then there's a restaurant that offered bison uh, that opened up the road about two miles, and, and people were talking about how good it is for them and all this. So I said, well, shoot, maybe I need an alternative. Brought it in. Of course, it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what customers think. So I got some samples of it and cooked it and you know, did it just like our burgers, and people loved it. So I said, all right, here we go. So we had it on the menu, and it's it's been a good seller, very good. You know, it's not a cheap meat, that's for sure, but uh, people understand that. It's a premium. Um, and there's a good profit margin on it for us. So it ended up being a great thing. And, and that's something, too, Will. I mean, you know, Rachel and I created this concept. The thought was to be good at one or two things. Like I said, it's cheeseburgers, how is ours, better and different than everyone else. But then it doesn't matter what we think a lot of times. You know what I mean? I mean, if you created ScheduleFly just the way you wanted to to work, that doesn't mean it's good for everybody. So yeah. it's important to get a lot of consensus with with what people like, what they don't, all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't matter if I like elk or not. It matters what customers think. Obviously, if you, if you want to sell a product, you got to get some feedback on it before you bring it all in and spend the money to bring it in and and, and offer it. So yeah, but. No, complacency, there's no room for that anywhere, in my opinion. But you also have to do it carefully while sticking to your – like, so it's it's tied into your original concept, which is burgers. But one of the things that you guys have done that I think is really smart, and I'd love your comments on it, is you, 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 you mentioned – you just mentioned a minute ago, you talked about it when we did the book, is, is your menu is small and your menu is simple, and you do one or two things really, really well. It seems like a lot of restaurants, they're all over the place, uh, where you, it's very clear what you do at Bob's. And, you you know, when the customer's in the mood for the type of food you serve, then you're the best place to go. And if they're in the mood for tacos or, um, you know, whatever, they go elsewhere. But but you've really focused on being the best at, in your niche. And uh, I think that's been a big part of what you all have done really well. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think so, too, because when you come to Bob's, you know what you're going to get, right? It's clean, it's safe. It's good, it's consistent, and it's easy. You don't go in and you flip through page after page after page of menu with from tacos to, you know, seafood to steaks to chicken to, I mean, what 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 are they good at, you know? And, and that's what you get when you come to Buzz. You know what we're good at. Come to us when you want, but you know what you're going to get. And, and a lot of people like that. Yeah, exactly. And so when you when you add something like elk, it fits into the still goes back to the simplicity, and it fits into your core offering. It's not like you just went, okay, well now we have. Um, yeah, exactly. So, 
that's and that's that's hard. I mean, it's hard to stay. It's it you know because I mean it's the same thing would would be with our business. Like you know, it's keeping things really simple and executing on a great product and great service day after day after day. Um, may seem easy, but it's a little harder sometimes than just let's try this or let's try that or um, you know why don't we start you know let's let's add this to our our offering and let's add this. And next thing you know, you have a complicated product and you can't really do a great job of serving everybody because you've got too many things that you offer. And then you know, so the simplicity is is uh can be challenging because you also want to always you know you're a thoughtful guy and and you're you know it's I don't know it just seems like adding things is sort of the natural way a lot of times, but I think a lot of businesses get in trouble doing that, whether it's in the restaurant business or software or whatever else. Simplicity is a, a very tough thing to pull off sometimes to, to, to keep it consistent for you know a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough. Um, well, so, let me ask you this. Um, you, uh, you mentioned... Another thing you mentioned I thought was really important is, you know, you were talking about growing and, and um, you mentioned something. You said a lot of restaurants fail from greed and ego. Tell me about yeah. that. Well, yeah, it, it, it happens. You know, a lot of, you know, and here I am saying their number one job is to make me a ton of money. So it <laughs> kind of contradicts it, but you know the meaning of that. You know, yeah. a lot of it is, you know, people grow rapidly because, Hey, I, I did so well at this one. I'm going to make the next one ten times bigger, and, and open another one after that within a month. You know, they just they get out of the the reality of what they're in, in my opinion, because they focus on God. I'm making so much money with this one. I'm going to do it again. And look, I, I could have a lot more bubs up, but within this business, it's so delicate because the customer relationship is so important. And because we focus on that sales thing, we're we're very, very um. I guess just I'll say it, just bluntly picky about who we hire, mm. and and man I'm I'm telling you three biggest challenges labor labor labor, you know you got to find the right people to do what you want and that represent you especially if you are growing and you're not going to be there as much, you you have to have the right people in place, and we've grown, you know it may seem fast to some, but trust me it's it's been slow to us not because I'm dying to grow but just because the people haven't been there. So I could have a lot more of these up. It's just I don't have the right people. Now, we are working on a bunch of things right now because I have people that have committed to us. They, they've bought into the process and the procedure and the thought process of what we do and how we do it, and they, they believe in it. So they're willing to commit full time um, to a, you know, a leadership role, and they've proven themselves over the years and, and so on and so forth. So you know, every, everything has a, 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 a time it takes to make it right. And I just think everyone has a different time level. But mine is is not about, hey, look at me and look how rich I am and how what I have. It's it's about doing something right and giving back, honestly. I mean, I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers and I make mistakes. But that's how you, you know, that's how you learn and you learn from all those and you, you kind of pass on that knowledge to different people. Yeah, sure. Is it is it hard to um like is it hard to keep Really good people. Uh, if, if you're only growing at a certain pace, are there people that you know want to grow further within the organization and have nowhere to go? Or is that, I guess, is that what helps foster growth? As you find, you know, people that have really excelled, and I guess that's what you're saying. You you get enough people that have kind of bought in that eventually you say, okay, now we're we're able to take the next step. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know, I've lost a couple of people because it wasn't as fast as they wanted, and, and to me, that that's okay. 
you know, and, you know, I still stay in touch with them and all that, but to me that's okay because I'm not going to rush the process or not buy right or not buy the right piece of land to put a buzz on just to satisfy their time frame. You know, and it, and it takes time for someone to, to show me that they got what it takes and they can be trusted and they're a leader and they, they believe in what and how we do and why we say what we say and everything else. So, yeah, it, you know, it's it's really tempting. Um, but, you know, some, sometimes, here's an analogy. So sometimes, you know, a, a man and a wife may have more kids to save their marriage, right? Hey, we're having problems. Let's, let's have more kids or let's have a kid to save our marriage. You know, a lot of people open restaurants doing that. You know, they may have one restaurant or two or whatever, but then they start opening more to save the other ones. You know, and that's where kind of the business gets tricky and sad, to be honest with you, because the failure rate of the restaurant business is so high. You know, last I checked, and you probably know better than I do, but I, I saw a fact about 86% of restaurants fail the first year they're open. Then the next, you know, within the next five years, that percentage is even higher of those that succeeded. So, you know, you just, you got to be patient. you got to be calm. you got to be smart and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, with me, I think what's helped us is because the salesperson tactic has worked out so well, you know, it, it's helped me be more creative inside the business, you know, and, and provide opportunities for people that they believe they're buying into a career and not just a job. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's interesting. The three biggest challenges are labor, labor, and labor. That's really uh is that a sign of the times? Is that has it always been the case? Or? Always the case, but even more so now, like I mentioned before, the sense of entitlement people have. Yeah. Over you know, you know, people look at this as a job and not a career path. And that's unfortunate because it's a very fun fun career. It's it's never the same. It's different every day and you know, I can tell you that corporate sales job that I had it was it was like Groundhog Day, you know, um, where every yeah. day was the same. It never changed, and it, it just got boring. You know, where this business, you're meeting somebody new every day. You're on your feet. You're making things happen. You're being a mentor. You're leading. You're implementing processes, procedures. You're accountable. You know, it's it's a, it's a great career path, in my opinion. So you teach entrepreneurialism at the uh, high school, right? Is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't teach. I, they have, they ask me to come in and lecture to their classes. I mean, it seems like for somebody that's an aspiring entrepreneur, this is a great opportunity because you're you're so you you have this sort of mentorship mentality, and so here's an opportunity where you got um, you can learn so many aspects of the business because it's a small business and it's a family-owned business. It's not so people going and you know busting tables at a, a large chain or whatever. Uh, you know, so it seems like for somebody that has that mindset that. Even if they don't want to get in the restaurant business one day, this is a great opportunity for somebody that, you know, sees himself as potentially being a business owner one day and learning what it takes to hire salespeople, to, you know, to lead people, to get people to buy into what you're doing, to get people to treat your baby, you know, as if it's their own. I mean, isn't isn't that the kind of opportunity you're really offering? Yeah, yeah, big time. You know, there, there's a great story I had a, a Young guy graduated from the Kelly Business School down at IU in Bloomington. It's a very good business school. And this was about two and a half years ago. The economy still wasn't coming back real well. His interview, was, his his uh, resume was out there. Didn't have much luck. Finally got an interview with a company that was hiring experienced salespeople. And here he is straight out of school. And, you know, he luckily got the interview, but he called me completely paranoid and nervous about, Matt, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're, they want experienced salespeople. I've never been in, you know, I haven't sold anything. I go, Jeremy, are you kidding me? I go, buddy, what, what's what's your job title of buzz? 
salesperson, what's brand identity, what's value add? And I went into all those things. He's like, wow, I can't believe I didn't even put it all together. You know what I mean? And I felt really bad for him because he's a smart kid and he didn't realize it. You know, come on. But long story short, he ended up getting a job, and the guy who interviewed him, that guy's boss called me and said, hey, I don't know what you're doing to these kids, but I want to use this as a training ground and hire more people that work for you. Because Jeremy killed it, and what he explained that you do is, is right up our alley. So, you know, and again, I, I hate it because it sounds like I'm blowing my own horn, but, but it just proves that, that people in my situation across the country have this opportunity to have an impact on people, and they need to look at it that way instead of just saying, hey, I own a restaurant, I need to make money, I need to sell this food and pay bills and go home. You know, you have an opportunity to have a major impact on somebody's life that they're never going to forget. They won't. They're not going to forget these relationships or experiences they've had waiting tables. Everyone should do it, as you know. Everyone should wait tables. So you get some pretty thick skin. Not everyone's real nice. You know, so you got to know how to handle those situations, know how to handle money, pace your bills, be accountable, be clean. You know, just be in sales. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's the labor force out there right now, what we're experiencing out here in the Midwest, there's a lot of great people, don't get me wrong. But, man, there's a lot of people that just think they're entitled to a job or something better than what's offered, you know, or, or it's never enough money or they're just they're just never happy, you know. Why don't you get, yeah. your feet, get in a job, perform, make some money, be proud of yourself, and develop your skills from there. So yeah, there's really an opportunity to learn so many of those skills that we train. I mean, the, the accountability, the salesmanship, the – yeah, simple things that you've talked about, looking people in the eye, uh, leading with, um, you know, your most expensive beers and somebody asking. I mean, these are things that that are so, these are such important lessons. So I see why Jeremy did well and why they why they would um, follow up with you about that. And, you know, these are these are great opportunities for anybody that has any kind of um, idea of, of doing their own thing one day and whatever, it, you know, whatever space it may be in. Um, I think you're doing an amazing job. And I really like the mentality. I don't, I don't fall, like, I think you have captured something that, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of successful restaurant owners and everybody has their different style, uh, but there's very few that I think look at it that way, Matt. I think it's a, a phenomenal way that you kind of approach the business and approach your staff. And so that, the, the, but it, it just comes back to that that's like make me a lot of money if you say that. But the funny thing is you're not you're, – you're teaching them things that, you know, again, it's like the byproduct is that they make you a lot of money because you're teaching them these skills that are so valuable. They they don't even recognize now they will one day. But that's a smart way to go about it. I mean, it's a really um, – it's just a really sharp way to approach the business, man. So I think it's awesome. That very much. And, you know, it's, it's in those sales meetings, too, that we actually talk about business in the economy, right? So – you know, they're talking. We talk about food costs and why the food costs are so high, right? With beef and you know the drought and you know harvesting and the exporting and and all this kind of stuff that, that raises the cost of products. So they have to understand that when they you know receive an order from a table, it's got to be right. It's got to be right when they put it in the system. It's got to be right when it comes out to the table. And, we, and you're aware of that process we have. It's multi-level, but they have to understand the cost of doing business. And to me, that's a that's a great education for the young kids because they start to understand, wow, that costs that much. Like, what was it the other day we were talking about? Uh, oh, uh, mayonnaise, ketchup, mustard packets. You know, some of our staff have a major habit of going in and putting like 20 ketchup packets in a bag of someone who ordered a small cheeseburger and a small fry. You know, in reality, they'll use maybe five or six or maybe eight of them. They're giving them like 20, 30. So we broke it down and told them what each one costs and how 
that is, you know, X amount of to-go orders a day per week, per month, per year, the total was a staggering like $9,800. And they're all just like, holy cow, no way. You know, so the more they understand about the business they're in, yeah, the more educated they're going to be, the more respectful they're going to be. Because you know what it's like. Hell, it's not mine. It doesn't matter if it breaks. It doesn't matter if I drop this and have to get another one. You know, it, it once they understand that, you, you see a different performance level come out of them. That's awesome. Well, tell, so one, one, one more thing. So tell tell us about the Big Ugly Burger. Tell, tell us what, what a Big Ugly Burger is and, and why you decided that to be, you know, sort of your catch. And then uh, you guys do an awesome job of, you know, you've got pictures all over your walls of people eating. So just kind of give the, the breakdown on, on what that's all about. Well, the, the, quickly, the Big Ugly Burger is a one-pound burger after cooked. The bun itself is a half pound. That doesn't include the cheese and the roughage and, you know, the lettuce, tomato, onion, pickle on top. Um, you know, it's cooked order, so, you know, if you did, and that one pound after cooked is based on medium well. So if you get it rare, medium rare, it's going to be a little bit heavier. But our rule is, whatever comes on that plate, you have to eat it. So if you don't like lettuce, don't get it, right? So, you know, the waiter's going to try to upsell you on mushrooms or grilled uh, jalapenos or whatever, uh, or bacon. Um, but if it's on that plate, you got to eat it. So if you eat it, it's a four-by-six picture that goes up on the wall. And, you know, Bloomington and Zionsville are two lo- two other locations. They're bigger buildings, so they have more space. But in Carmel, we have to take the pictures down once a year because it fills up so fast. Um, you know, if you eat two of those, it's an 8 by 11 picture, three is a poster, and then four is life-size. And the whole life-size thing came about because Man vs. Food called us and said, hey, Adam, we'd send in people to your to your store. We love the, the product. We love the atmosphere. Adam wants to be the first to eat four big uglies. And so when they came out, unfortunately, Adam only did two and a quarter, but it was very comical how it all went down and everything else. So we have more time. I'd love to share it, but you already know the, know the story. But um, so that that's how people started eating four big uglies. That's four pounds of meat, two pounds of bread, not including what they get on top of it. And, and it's funny because Rich and I, you know, once a year we get out our original business plan. We look at it and just kind of laugh and tell stories to each other and all this kind of stuff and just rehash all the the good and the bad. But we never thought people would eat four of these. I mean, well, we never thought really many people would eat one. So, you know, at this point, we're over 90,000 big, ugly souls. It's it's just insane. And you got, you know, the great thing about it, it's very diverse. You got old people doing it, young kids doing it, grandmas bringing in their grandsons to do it, you know, and there's bark, there's tears, there's happy, there's, there's, (laughs) there's everything that goes along with it. It's very comical. So they're 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 awesome and they are big and you think that you you sit there and you go I'm gonna I'm gonna I see these pictures I'm gonna knock out you know try to get two or whatever and I had one and I did, I mean I don't feel like I needed to eat for like a couple of days but they're they're, they're the good the good thing is that but you but you mentioned this I mean your buns like everything it's just really good it's not just this like big burger it's like this really good big burger but it's an experience so you're really it's part of your draw there is that you've got this this cool unique product that it, it's not just let's go to Bubs and they have good burgers. It's let's go to Bubs and, hey, let's see if any of us can eat a, a, a big, ugly burger. Let, let's let's try it today and see who can do one. So it's this whole other level of experience, which is a really neat draw, I would imagine. It brings a lot of people in just for the sake of I – mean, what, what percentage of your orders are big, ugly, if you don't mind sharing? Or, uh, we sell on average about 190 a week. So 190 a week, okay. Yeah, we're five to 700 people out a day, you know, on a moderate day, on a busy day, we're at 900 to 1,000. And yeah, it's you know it's 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 it was up there way high when when Adam came and soon after that show aired we were, went from about 200 a week to almost 800 a week. 
and that stayed safe for about a year and a half, which was just insane. Good so, yeah, it's just it's just nuts. I mean, we're so lucky. But but you know you you touch base on it well, and I think it's very important for the listeners to understand that you said the word experience a couple times, and that goes into the whole business plan, right? Buzz is a freestanding unit in its own location. It's not a strip mall. It's not right next to, you know, whatever. But you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and that's such a big part of the business that there's so many options out there. But with us, like I said, there's there's five value adds about our burgers that make them better and different than everything else. It's fresh, never frozen, which isn't rocket science, right? A lot of people do that. It's cooked to order, again, not rocket science. A lot of restaurants do that. It's uh, it's um, hand-patted, it's after-cooked weight, and then on a fresh baked bun. And then that sixth element is a service. So those are the value adds, but... but of the burger itself, but that burger is in a facility that is unique and creates an experience and an ambiance that's different than most other places. You know, so we, we focus on kind of that atmosphere of casualness and, you know, it's it's concrete floors, wood tables, it's kind of come as you are. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people love it, you know, because it's it's so, it's not the same. It's not real nice. It's not real, you know, you know what I mean by that? Sure, so yeah, when people, absolutely. When people are out there creating a business plan for a restaurant or in their business and they're trying to figure out what to change or whatever, you can't be everything to everybody. you got to create a product that's great, and you have to create an ambiance or an experience that people want to come back to. That's just crucial. And, again, it's not rocket science, but so many people just say, yeah, I'm going I'm to do this and put it right there without really thinking about what kind of impact that's going to have on the day-to-day operations. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, this is awesome, Matt, and always it's it's good to talk to you, and I just I really have a lot of respect for uh, what you and Rachel have done, and, and it's a great business, and I hope anybody that uh, is your way will, will certainly come try it out. The food's fantastic. The service is great. I mean, everything about us, it, it is a great experience. Um, so, but thanks for doing this, and thanks for sharing. This is really valuable and helpful information to a lot of people, I think, that will, you know, learn from this and, and uh, hopefully avoid some mistakes and get some good ideas for how to try to replicate some of the success that y'all have had. Well, I appreciate it, Will. Congrats to you, too, with your business. All right, man. I appreciate that. appreciate that very much. Well, uh, listen, good to talk, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. But thanks again for the time. I know you're a busy, busy guy. Uh, that's all right. Thanks, Will. All right. Take care.